Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 131, Train Like an Astronaut. I'm Gary Jordan. I'll be your host today. On this podcast, we bring in the experts, scientists, engineers, astronauts, all to let you know what's going on in the world of human spaceflight. We are lucky enough to bring in a number of astronauts onto this podcast. For the most part, when we talk to them, they've been training for quite some time in preparation for a long-duration stay on the International Space Station, and they're just about to leave the country before their launch. And we investigate their unique stories of what it took to become an astronaut. While today, we're sitting down with someone who has trained hundreds of astronauts to zero in on all the aspects of astronaut training and everything they have to endure from their first day to the moments before launching to space. So going into the details of the intense training needed to be an astronaut today is Kathy Bolt, the Chief Training Officer and a Capcom here at NASA. So here we go, training like an astronaut with Miss Kathy Bolt. Enjoy. Minus five seconds and counting. Mark. Launch commit light circuit for the red. Here she goes. Houston, we have a podcast. Kathy Ball, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for inviting me. So you are the, let's see, chief training officer and you're a Capcom. Such a cool job title. How'd you get that? Well, I was lucky, I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, it has been a, an experience. I, you know, I started working here some almost what thirty years ago now. Wow! <laughs> almost in 1991, and um, and I started training crews in um, 1997 when we first started training the um, space station tr crews. And then over the course of the last um, you know couple of decades, I've just kind of grown into the position of the chief training officer, and then. I, um, because we work so closely with the crew, then uh, I was selected to be a Capcom about 12 years ago. So I get to support them when they're on orbit, even after spending time training them. <laughs> so what does it take then to, I, I guess there's, there's this proximity to the crew that really helps you to hone those skills and understand their needs. What is it about being so close to the crew that helps you to communicate effectively to them? Well, I think it's just going through their training and seeing them in training for the two and a half years that we have them um, in tr ground training before they ever fly. So as a chief training officer, it's my job to to um, organize that flow of their training from beginning to end and even continue it with onboard training once they're um, in flight. Uh, so I, I have this wide um, variety of experiences of just watching them in training, observing them, and also role-playing the ground team in many of their training sessions. So they get used to hearing my voice as a, as a Capcom through training, and then I can do it real-time once they get on board as well. And that's what a Capcom does, right? A yes. Capcom sits in mission control and you are the voice talking to the crew. Everyone's telling you all these different pieces of information and you're the one that has to be that filter right. to the crew right. and have that, and because you're so close to them, you have that relationship, they understand your voice and, and you know how to talk to them in a way that makes sense to them for when, what I guess other flight controllers are asking. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That, that's big. That, that's the goal, anyway. Yeah. 
<laughs> I will say that is the goal, and and it really does help to have that that um, personal connection with the crews, um, which is why I think the the training folks that we have as Capcoms are um, are usually really good. Yeah. Well, tell me about some of your you, you talked earlier in your career. You got here in '91. You said you started crew training in '97. What skills did you build to eventually make your way to crew training? Well, to be honest, I was a um, software programmer those first oh. five or six years, um, and that's just that was how I got my foot in the door. You know, whenever I was a kid, I wanted to grow up and work for NASA. I wanted to be an astronaut at that time. <laughs> Ever since I started training them, I've decided training is more my style than actually being the astronaut. But my goal was, you know, get out of college and go work for NASA. So I started out as a software developer, and then my company was actually swallowed up into. Um, United Space Alliance, which was the company that essentially took over all of the training and operations for the space shuttle um, hmm. back in 1996. And when that company got incorporated into United Space Alliance, then that opened up a door for me to do other things. And that's when I found out about uh, station training because they were just starting to hire people to start building a space station training program. They had trainers for shuttle crews and training about how to fly the shuttle um, vehicle, but they were just hiring people to start training for the International Space Station and figuring out what a training flow was even going to look like for the International Space Station at yeah. that time. So that's when I joined. So you mentioned joining because you already had interest in NASA. When did yes. that spark? Um, with the very first space shuttle launch in 1981. Wow. <laughs> I think I was in like sixth grade at the time, and, and I knew then that NASA was where I always wanted to, to you know, work and have the opportunity. My goal was to meet out, you know, to, to know an astronaut. Yeah. And now I know every astronaut <laughs> and every cosmonaut and every IP astronaut, and it's, it's just one of those things that I, I'm eternally humbled and grateful that wow. I have made it. To where I am today, and it's only been through, through I would say, divine intervention, <laughs> getting me through all the different uh, wickets that I've gone through. Well, let's fast forward to meeting your first astronaut when you were here. I guess in a training capacity, when you were actually in the role, what was that like? Those first couple of astronauts training. <laughs> it was actually um, very interesting. So the very first cruise I, I trained was Expedition One, mm -hmm. which was Bill Shepard. Mm -hmm. And um, and then we had uh, Sergey Krikalov and uh, Yuri Gidzinko. I think That's right. Were those three? And so, at that time, it was a very different era, you know, as far as like our two Russians. They weren't all that familiar with having female trainers um, at the hmm. time, and and then Bill was very. Uh, uh, we called him Shep. Shep was always very focused on the the details of, of learning stuff. So you really had to know your stuff because he was going <laughs> to ask you a lot of questions. And the Russians were just like, I don't know if I want to listen to you or not. <laughs> wow. But we grew into that. And we, we earned their respect. We, we learned what we needed to learn just in time to teach them what they needed to learn. And then over the course of, you know, the several years we had in the, them in training, then, you know, we gradually earn their respect. So. You make it sound so simple, but I'm sure it was not. I <laughs> mean, that's a not. tough crew. That's a tough crew when it you was. have something against you and you have you have this almost demand to perform at the highest level and to prove that you are the person that needs, that can do that, it, that, can, do it, that right. can do the job. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, it was a team of us. I was only one of, of a team that was supporting yeah. all of them. Um, but all of us had that, um, 
had that goal in mind to, to prove ourselves first, learn what we needed to know, um, and then be able to, you know, make sure we were training them on what we thought was important at the time. And things change over time, but um, from the first thing you train to what we train today is very different. But um, but that's the process you have to go through. <laughs> I would love to explore that. Let's do that. Like that. That's basically the the basis of this podcast is how that has changed and what what all takes place and part of that. Let's start with you said you were you were a station trainer and you were training for station, but your the legacy before that was shuttle. I'm sure you pulled some lessons and some practices from shuttle to some of those first. Uh, crews that were training for expeditions yeah, on the space station. Absolutely. So for shuttle, we train the crew members how to fly that vehicle, starting with individual systems training, where mm-hmm. they had to know every single switch and button and circuit breaker inside that cockpit, because everything was manual um, on the space shuttle. I mean, there was a, a few things you could do from the ground, but the, in general, the crew was flying the vehicle. And so when we first started training for the space station, um, not really knowing how the software was going to really work, you have ideas, you have, you know, and you have proofs of concepts, but nobody really trusts the software until it has, you know, been demonstrated for a while. So, so we actually started training our space station crews to be very similar to our shuttle crews in that they, we taught them a whole lot of details of how to operate every single little thing, how to go behind the panels and open things up and do all kinds of stuff. And then once we had the first couple of crews fly and they came back and said, we hardly used any of what you trained because the ground did it all, you know. It was a very different concept. Um, The ground controllers, mission control, they actually fly the space station the crew can go up there and be the scientists they can they can do maintenance on the space station the hands-on stuff that we need and they can focus on science and then the ground team is who actually flies the vehicle and makes all of the changes uh, sends commands to it and all that kind of stuff that was such a different concept between what we had learned on shuttle and what we had to learn for the space station and so we evolved our training because of that um, wow that's such a different mindset just a very uh, different mindset yeah. now i'm sure you're with you with your software background you had some kind of inkling that that was maybe going to be the case um Maybe, but I think we were just all so... uh, The only thing we knew was space shuttle and how to train. Well, I mean, I'm I'm sure the people before us obviously knew um, the early days, but shuttle was the only thing that we'd been training for a good 15 years, Mm -hmm. and that was the only model we had at the time, and so we just started with that model. Um, But over time, we've had to adjust that. And I I see the same thing happening with our commercial crew um, partners today. You know, they are starting with both of them with brand new vehicles that they they think they understand and they have software that, that they, that is designed to operate it but until it gets some time um actually flight time and we learn how the crews are going to operate it then uh, we're just guessing at what we should we should um, focus our training on we've mm-hmm. got a whole set of things we think are the right things and that's what we're training the early crews but i can see it ev- that evolving in the years ahead yeah. just as we get more experience that's right yeah so. we can explore that too i want 
want to go back to to station for just mm-hmm. a second. You talked about there was there was almost a shift on what you thought you had to prioritize based on what you knew from shuttle, and so you focused on that for station. They're like, ah, we don't need that. So what was the refocus? What were you st- what were you starting to bring into the training flow to fill that gap of now what you don't do we know really need? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a good question. So what we changed um, instead of teaching minute details about all of the different systems like the electrical power system and the computer system and everything we decided to take it up a level and just teach a kind of a foundational knowledge of all of the different systems Mm -hmm. recognizing that if they got into serious trouble in any of those systems the ground team was going to be there to help resolve the issue so we looked at what things can cause the crew to be completely on their own? What are the the uh, malfunctions that will cause them to not have ground support and therefore have to respond by themselves? And then, so we started looking at all of those different scenarios and then it turns out there's only about four or five major scenarios that we can um, truly focus on and make sure they know how to recover from. One is like a major power failure that takes out their communication huh. and how do they diagnose it and how they get calm back with the ground. That's imp- Those are important steps we need to, to train. Um, emergencies, obviously, mm-hmm. a fire depressor, ammonia. And we focus on that a lot because those have to be instinctual responses. Um, and then also um, things like uh, loss of attitude control because, again, you when you're spinning out of control, you may lose calm. And so how the crew needs to know how to get um, calm back and how to regain attitude control. So that's how it ended up evolving is looking for those things that can actually really cause the crew to have to do it on their own without ground team. And then the focus is not have them fix it all, but have them get calm back so that then they can hand it back over to the ground team to take over and do all the detail. That's an important distinction. It's a huge distinction. Yeah. Having that, having that ability, you said it's almost like the priority is okay, yeah, we're spinning out of control. So, you know, we have to make sure we understand how to regain communication because communication is a support team with plenty of thousands people, of on, people, thousands yeah, of people the on the world. ground that can help you and resolve right. the issues because like you said, a lot of those components, those those intricate details, they're controlled from the ground. Right. So that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah, so so that's where we evolved and, and our training flows started focusing on those those types of scenarios and then also just routine day in the life things like we we changed our flows to um, actually have the crew practice a day in the life of space station so our building nine um, mock-ups of we have the entire space station modules in mm-hmm. building nine um, and it's the only place in the world that we have all of the modules, including uh, most of our Russian modules there as well. And that used to just be, when, we, when I first started, it was really just a public affairs um, building, <laughs> all the gee whiz, let's look at this. It really wasn't much of a training facility. Um, but we have grown into that being one of our prime training facilities because we needed people to actually, you know, put them in the environment. So put them in the US lab, put them in the Columbus module or the Node 1 module and have them use the tools that they're going to use on a daily basis for six months up there and get used to that and not just teach them piece parts, but actually put the whole picture together. And yeah. 
So see, from a public affairs perspective, I'm like, man, there's always training going on. I need to do a tour. I need to do a media interview. Come on. But it is. It's always busy. It is always busy now. And and you know, that's one of the things I got to do as part of my early jobs was define and grow that training that we put in building nine because initially it was hard to uh, people were a little hesitant to put things in building nine because it's hard to schedule you know lots of things like that but we're just like it is so important for the crews to see that realistic environment for the big events emergency training the day in the life stuff um seeing stowage cargo ops all of those things are important in the environment and not just talked about in a classroom so that's that's really the benefit then is when you put them in that environment they have maybe more spatial training than maybe just a classroom that because i guess the thought process is in the event of an emergency you have to react quick. You have to know where things are. You have to know kind of the direction you're going. So having that Absolutely. training on the ground, where's, you know, up, down, left, right, um, where is everything? Exactly. That is critical to the, to the training critical. flow. Where's your emergency mask? Where's the, yeah. the, um, the combustion analyzer that's going to tell me whether my air is safe to breathe? Where are those things physically located? What modules do I have to fly through to get to them? And so, yes, absolutely. And, and we do that here for um, the integrated um, U.S. and Russian emergency training. Um, and then in Russia, they get even more training on just the uh, emergencies on the Russian segment um, because they have more of the Russian modules actually out of Moscow in the training facility there. So so that's going to be we, – we can dive into all the different parts of thing, or the, all the different things that the crews have to do, including travel to go different places and learn all of these systems. One thing I did want to say was you, t- you talked about the progression of training mm-hmm. from when you first started station, learning from shuttle and adapting along the way, even you said the first three missions were rapid mm-hmm. with how you were training the crews. You went from this minute detail to more of a broad perspective. How has it changed even to now? Now that we've had nearly 20 years of continuous presence, how has that training evolved over well, that time? Uh, I would say that what I've talked about has been the evolution over the last 20 years, not Ah. just the initial few um, years, um, but that's when when I got started, you know, so after every crew, we're always looking for feedback on what is it that you need more of or what is it that we need to focus more on, and I I think in the last... like five years is where we finally really hit <laughs> the mark wow. on on focusing on the right things for our crews. Um, we focus on you know their payload training, on their their science and their um, the emergencies, and then these day in the life things. Yeah, and everything else is a foundation level, but we don't you know dive down into those details like we used to expect. And I just I feel like we've finally gotten there. Yeah. <laughs> That makes sense. I like that breakdown because the payloads are the things that they're working with all the time. These right. are the experiments. These are the science things. They're really tricky, and they have to do them for hours and hours. Right. So knowing, and that's what they're going to do most of their time That's what there. they're going to do most of the time. Or maintenance. Yes. Um, but, and we teach them too. all about that. Yeah. So. Uh, the emergencies, always good to have that in the back of your mind just in Must. case anything happens. You yes. have to have that have ready to, to go that. at any time. And then day of the life. Oh, of course, you're living on the space station. You need to learn how to do that effectively. Yeah. And that, that's actually one of the hardest things I think we – we um, can't train as well uh, on the ground. We can hmm. we can put them in building nine. We can give them a, a day in the life simulation, 
but just the physical working in zero G, you can't simulate that anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Even though we have our little, you know, buttons in building nine that we pretend like we give them zero G. So the, you know, folks looking on the catwalk think that we're doing <laughs> it. But um, anyway, it's the first few weeks on board is always um, adaptive. It's time for them to, you know, to really figure out how do I let this thing go and where is it going to go when I let it go? <laughs> is it going to stay right there? Or did I put a little bit of pressure on it and now it's flying across this module and I got to go find it again? Or is the air circulating in this particular spot and therefore I need to, you know, Velcro it or something? Yeah, there's just all this stuff that we really, we can give them ideas and thoughts and we let them talk with previous crews to get those ideas. But the experience when they get up there is, is always going to have to just take a little bit of time. Yeah. And I know that's carved out, right? Whenever they yeah. get up there, there's, yes. there's specific They have time. some adaptive time. Adaptive yes, time. Exactly. So yeah. let's go through astronaut training from start to finish. Okay. Um, we, we have, uh, at the time of this recording, just in a couple of days, we're going to have uh, – astronaut candidates graduate the 2017 class so that's really exciting they've gone through two years now of training to for that moment what have they been focusing on for the first two years that they've been astronauts it's a really great question and i had the privilege of being the the uh, training lead for the Askan class uh this particular Askan class and so they have been focusing in the last it's really been two and a half years for them Uh, they started in august of 2017 and they have been focusing on getting that foundational level of space station systems so understanding at the big picture of all the different systems understanding those major malfunctions that we talked about Mm -hmm. we've actually um, given them um, what we call masteries or tests to make sure they know how to respond to every single one of those major ones that we've talked about and they've all passed with flying colors on that (laughs) and then um, they've been doing EVA or a spacewalk training out at the neutral buoyancy lab Uh, that the EVA training has been focused on um, repetitive skills because all the EVAs have um, certain skills that the crew members need to know how to do. You need to know how to stay safe, keep your tethers on. You need to know how to use the tools. You need to know how to get yourself, you know, situated where you can move with um, with some flexibility, but yet you're not spinning around yeah. <laughs> because you you really got to get your work done. There's a lot of different skills and so they've been um it takes them like nine nbl runs to go through those basic skills and get to uh just a a certain stage where now they can then go focus on more advanced um spacewalking skills and and um maybe practice for a real spacewalk and actually run through a timeline of that and neutral buoyancy laboratory this is that pool where they suit up and they get they basically simulate they they write some procedures together and they're i guess they're they're uh, more uh, skills based yes so how to use the tools for the for the initial astronaut um candidates we uh, we start with the just the skills and work up to them doing a timeline of here's here's a day here's six hours of a time you're going to spend from getting out of the airlock to going and performing a task and then coming back into the airlock they get to that by the end of run nine um but but it's a work up to that um building their skills yeah it's a lot of work and i guess it's not intuitive but having those skills by the end of run nine yeah they're doing spacewalks that's pretty cool right and so they've done that. They've got robotics training. Robotics okay. is another big key. We need them to get a generic set of skills before they um, 
before they move on to their assigned training where they'll get more specific uh, skills. This is just like how to, how to control the arm, how to understand where the arm is going to move based on the inputs of your controllers and, um, and all that stuff. So, so they've gone through that. That's the uh, Canon Arm 2 that's on the space station. Mm -hmm. They train to they, maneuver that to and maneuver capture that. things and move things. Yeah, the track and capture pieces comes later when they're actually assigned. The okay. early um, astronaut training uh, for the Afghans is more of just how do I operate the arm mm. as a whole and so that they, when they're moving it, they have a, a clear understanding of where it's going to move because it's a very complex arm. <laughs> <laughs> I have tried to learn. I've been through their training, but I'm not very good at it. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of axes. Yes, and just way different, too many. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, too many degrees of freedom there. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. Um, yeah, I guess that that's, it makes sense why that would be part of their initial training flow. That's a critical thing that they have to know and learn how to do. Absolutely, um, yeah. That's, you know, capturing cargo, doing repairs. Yeah. Yeah, all, all these different things that are very important. Yeah. Some of the other things are they need, they all have to learn Russian. Okay. Um, Russian to a, um, a certain uh, language level. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the key things they've had to focus on. Um, and the same is true for cosmonauts. They have to learn English uh, to a certain level. Mm -hmm. um, but all of our um, astronauts have to learn their Russian. And, um, and then also T-38 flight training. Um, they've we have the pilots that do the front seat training so they they f learn how to fly the t-38s and then anyone that has come in that does not have a pilot background then they get backseat t-38 training and so essentially they're they're trained to be that um, that backseat um, helper or support person that way they can um, travel where they need to go uh, with a pilot astronaut that can take them if they need to travel on the t-38s okay. but it's one of those team-based skills that we try and focus on as well as the flight um, experience. Yeah, so. which is pretty important. I hear from a lot of the astronauts that I've talked to that uh, almost, I guess for the most part, I hear that Russian language training is probably one of the more difficult it ones. It is definitely one of the most difficult, unless you're one of those people that just love yeah. uh, languages. And, yeah. and there's a, always a, one or two that come in already knowing a lot of languages and Russian is easy. And then you have people like me who I've looked at the Russian language and had a few classes and I still can't teach. <laughs> I can't uh, <laughs> talk it, you know, or say anything. So, um, but they have to get to a certain level and that is that does take a lot of practice and a lot of study. So for your role as the chief training officer, now obviously you're not going to be in the front seat flying the T-38 mm -mm. and, and <laughs> saying, all right, here's here we go. This is how you do stuff. What's your role? How are you actually working through their training process? So, so my role is to uh, work with the team of instructors who do do all of those ah. individual pieces. So I had Russian training instructors on my team. I had a uh, T-38 representatives on my team. I have all the space station system um, trainers on my team. So I have a team of instructors that actually do the teaching, and it's my job to just make sure that that it's an integrated training flow, and so that they're getting scheduled for all the right things, that we're putting it in a logical format, that we have everything ready for them, like they had to go off and do... Um, the T-38 training in Pensacola initially, so we had to oh. make sure that all of that was set up for them, for the non-pilots. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's just a lot of organization that, that I do to make sure that that training flow is executed. And then the last part I do is the the 
routine ops and the emergency training is something that I lead as a as the um, the team we have a team of instructors that do it but it's my job to make sure that that they um, execute everything get to the point where we can we know that they have successfully passed that That's training right. so. now that yeah you said two and a half years they're going through their training you are the conductor you are the one that's <laughs> making sure that they are they have that flow to get them through and graduate right. Uh, right when they need to graduate with all the necessary skills. And like you said, they're all they all passed. So right. that's, that's great. <laughs> they're so. all doing they they did wonderful. It was a great group to work with. And let me say one thing. From you know, so my job is 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 like you said that orchestrating that yeah. that flow. But there is a group of ladies in the astronaut office, um, the ASCAN uh, scheduler, and then we have what we call our international training integrators or ITI. And these ladies are the ones who actually put all the pieces together. So I tell them, here's the flow, and here's here's the order, and here's the big pieces that we want, and we kind of want them in these time frames. And then they go and they actually do all the scheduling of it, make sure it can happen, what will fit within a week, what they, the um, international training integrators are the ones that figure out when are they in the United States, when are they in Russia, when are they <laughs> in Europe, or when are they in Japan. And so it's a, it's a um, joint effort to make all of those pieces Very come much together. So. A joint effort, a massive effort. A massive sounds, effort, Sounds like yes. a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, that's awesome. How do you feel uh, about to see them graduate here in a few days? I'm excited to see them graduate yeah. yeah I I it was so fun to be able to work with them and to see them come in as you know just fresh new astronauts excited to be at NASA and to te to train them and see them grow into who they are today and the and understand seeing that development has been a pleasure I I've really enjoyed it and the the next step that, that nearly all of them are going to do is become Capcoms. And oh. so I get to mentor um, them as they move into the Capcom flow as well, because that's one of the next things we, we want for them to do after they get out of their astronaut training is to become a Capcom, because then when they get assigned to fly on an actual mission, they will understand how the ground works because they have been in mission control and they understand what the Capcom job is to communicate with them. So then when they're up there being the ones communicating down to the ground, they understand all the logistics of what's happening. And that's an extremely important transition, I think, that they have to go through. And so I'll get to continue to see them do that side of it soon. <laughs> yeah. that's a, that, Well, that's a big key point is really they are transitioning to just yes. more training. They've studied. They've taken tests. They've gone through all these yeah. different scenarios to, to prepare to become officially astronauts from astronaut candidates and now they're just ready for that next step which is more training let's let's go into some of that and starting with the operations I think that's a good place to start you said you're gonna train them to be Capcoms so what is that going to be like what are they what skills are they gonna to have to learn what's the training to actually get them accustomed uh, to to learning the operations and the lingo and the protocol so they can say the right things and then be that person on console that you are that's communicating to the crew well, the thing that they need, they already have the foundations, but with what they've gone through in the last 
two years, mm -hmm. two plus years. Uh, what they need now is practicing in that communication. So we put them in uh, simulations. Okay. Um, and so they'll they'll um, end up doing anywhere from five to ten simulations. And in the simulations with the ground team, we throw a whole lot of things at them, like big failures and massive, you know, big things that go wrong so that the ground team has to figure out how to deal with it and then the Capcom has to uh, tell the crew that you know it's a it's a pretend crew it's obviously not the the real crew sure. but we um, we have them practice how they would communicate what's happening with all these failures that are going in during these simulations and so that's what it takes because they've already got all of the foundational knowledge that they need now it's just put it together be able to listen to what everyone is saying in mission control and put it in your own words and sometimes that's easy and sometimes that's hard <laughs> uh, there's some people that take to it really quickly and uh, they can very easily listen to all these conversations and then um, put it in your own words and communicate it very clearly up to the crew and there, there's others that need a little bit more finesse and practice hmm. um, and uh, that only comes with just uh, doing more sims and and teaching them you know guiding them along the way on how best to um, communicate certain things so I don't know it's it's one of those things <laughs> yeah is that one of the aspects of your job that you enjoyed being a Capcom I love being a Capcom yeah. yes yeah it's it's one of the um, I, I consider it uh, my pr a privilege you know to be able to be a Capcom it, it's it's kind of an extra job it's not something that I do day to day oh. um, but it is something that I love to sign up for shifts and to and to support especially when it's a crew that that I've trained with yes. uh, to be up there and uh, so it's just every time I drive up into that parking lot of Mission Control and I park in that that spot that says ISS Capcom yeah I, I think of the responsibility of what I'm about to go in and do, what could potentially happen, and then I'm just humbled that I get to park there and be that person, you know, for the day. And there's so many other people, you know, like me that do it as well, but it's, it's an honor. It's a it's a privilege. What a feeling. So, yeah. yeah, that's got to be awesome. You're, you're the voice to the crew. Exactly. You're, yeah. yeah. And like you said, you, you've spent some time with them, you've trained them, and you have a relationship with them. Yeah. It's almost like talking to your friends, your family. Yeah. I'll tell you one story. I hope this is okay. But um, one, I had one crew uh, that I worked with, and they had two rookie uh, Russian cosmonauts. Mm. Neither one of them had flown. And, and which is unusual. A lot of the times that we have repeat flyers for our Russian cosmonauts, but yeah. this particular crew had two rookies. And, um, and then I had a, a U.S. crew member who had flown on shuttle but had never done um, the long-duration space station. So kind of they were all three fairly new, new guys. Yeah. And um, I spent the whole two and a half years training them. I traveled with them around. I, I was in Russia with them. I was in uh, Europe and Japan with them. Got to know them all really well. And right before their launch, um, the commander came up to me and he's he's like, Kathy, are you going to be on console when we arrive? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've already signed up for it. I'm going to be Capcom. When you arrive, when you go through that door, I'm going to be Capcom. It's like, okay, good, because as soon as we get done with the family interviews, I'm going down to the U.S. segment, and I'm going to have um, our, the two rookies 
talk to you first because they're going to be nervous as you know to talk on the space to ground for the very first time yeah and we want i want them to talk to you and so they wow. did it was the it was best moment of you know my career because <laughs> i saw them do their family thing and then sure enough i saw them head down we had the video up i saw them head down to the um u.s segment and i get the phone call or i get the call on space to ground and then i just get to have this conversation with them and they were just so happy because they were talking to <laughs> someone they had talked to yeah. for two and a half years and then after that they were just fine they didn't need any more than that <laughs> so it was all good wow but that's the type of a bonding you can get you know when you work with a team or crew for that long yeah that's really so. important because i guess that certain level of comfort will help them be successful they're looking for you they want they want your support because they do want to be successful in that communication right. and that level of ease will help them to yeah. do that so there yeah. is there is a wonderful aspect i think it was just breaking the ice for them yeah know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> really is all it was but it was a special moment for me that that i got to to be a part of that so. wonderful um, yes, operations training super important for for these next steps after they're graduating to to become astronauts from astronaut candidates. What else are they in for when it comes to training and getting ready for those next missions? Um, well, once they get through the initial training of um, for the spacewalks and robotics and stuff, then we have a lot of proficiency training. So mm. proficiency is just doing the same skills over and over again and adding some new things to it. So they're going to continue. To, to go through robotics and EVA training even during this time before they're assigned an actual mission. The Capcom thing we've already talked about. Mm -hmm. And then um, they'll also start doing more probably maintenance and payload or science training. Some of our astronauts come in with a whole lot of experience on maintenance and tools and other stuff. And then there's people like me who know nothing about, you know, you can put a tool in front of me. I wouldn't even know what it what what it's called, probably, because <laughs> um, I just don't work with that. Sure. And so you have that diversity with our astronaut classes as well. And so for those that are that don't have as much familiarity with tools and the use of tools. Um, then we have some, what we call field maintenance training or field medical training for folks that don't have a good, have much of a medical background. Mm -hmm. And those are the types of things that we try and put them in when they're um, unassigned. So they've been through their ASCAN training, they're not assigned to a mission yet. So how do we shore up all of the skills to make them set up for success as soon as they do get that assignment? And those are the types of things that we'll, we'll do. So they'll go out to, for maintenance training, they'll go out to Ellington Field and work with the um, maintenance technicians for the T-38 for oh. like a week or two at a time. Oh. And, you know, they're, they're do following the procedures of the, of the maintenance guys out there, but they're learning how to utilize the tools and, and all that stuff. And they come out away understanding so much more than they could if we just told them, yes, that's a wrench or that's a socket or that's this. But actually doing something with it is the key and learning yeah. how to utilize it. Now that is huge. Like we mentioned this in the beginning when it comes to breaking down what they'll actually be doing on space station maintenance is one of those maintenance things is one of them a lot of time going to be dedicated to that you're going right. to have to fix things you're going to have to pull racks out you're going to have to know exactly which tools to use so that's huge the other thing we talked about was science payloads mm -hmm. being able to do that now i'm sure that's a huge part of their training as well it is and we try and get some of that during this two and a half years i we oh. we but there's always more you know <laughs> so there's um you know we do actually a, a lot of uh, rodent training uh, mm. under you know understanding how do we um 
take care of the the rodents that we send up there for science um also by bio um training how how they handle cell cultures and dna and uh, samples and all that kind of stuff because there's so much intricate um work that they have to perform for scientists here on the ground but the astronaut is the hands and the eyes up on board and so we need to train them you know what are the safe practices what are the clean room practices you want to make sure that you you um observe when you're doing the science experiment for the people on the ground so see while you're describing this I'm, i'm starting to get a better sense of just what it takes to be an astronaut, because I'm thinking of it, when you're designing those training flows. You said you know you'll you'll put them in the and have them work on the T38s for a week. It's almost like they're putting on that hat and they're thinking like a technician, and they have to think like a technician for a week. And then okay, now switch hats, put on your scientist hat. Now you got to think like a scientist for yeah. a week. It's it's these different mindsets, and they're all smashed together into this one person called an astronaut that has to do everything well, on that's board. That's actually a really good description. Yeah, <laughs> and I think. I think that's what the crew feels like when they're in that two and a half year training flow either for the assigned mission or as an ASCAM because every day it may have a different focus. Today I may be learning just about the electrical power system on the space station and tomorrow I might be in the pool doing a spacewalk and completely different skill sets, completely different mindsets, but it's all in this week. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So uh, when you're designing those flows, how do you ensure that they're going to retain that information or be able to recall it? <laughs> it's a good question. Yeah. Um, I think repetition is is what the the best way. That makes sense. Uh, you know, again for the Askans, we we train them on certain skills so that we build a foundation, and then it's that repetition or proficiency training that we want to call it, um, where we just keep them up to date, and then um, and then there are some tests along the way. You know, they have to pass certain quals as a robotics operator. They have to. Sp- Pass certain quals as a spacewalk EVA um, to be able to be assigned to that, and they have to pass certain um, masteries, or what we call them, for the space station systems, Hmm. how to handle those big failures. They actually have a test that they have to pass, and then after they pass those tests, we just try and make sure that they they see it periodically until they get assigned as a real crew and then we're very focused on making sure they get lots of repetition before they fly. I see it on their timeline sometimes even when they're in space some refresher training particularly when it comes to the robotic Robotics, yes. Uh, I know like you know you're about to capture a dragon okay Mm -hmm. let's make sure I know every you know how to capture a how to capture a cargo vehicle. Right. Um, Yeah we have what's called onboard training for OBT flow um, for, for crews it leads up to every single cargo mission it'll lead up to probably our crew missions coming forward but anytime they use the robotic arm because it's so dangerous if you do something wrong um, then you want to make sure that they're comfortable with it and so we've set up a flow that allows them to get some time dedicated while you're on board to refresh those skills yeah it's almost like you know i'm trying to think of what it would take to to work through that training and there's like how i'm imagining it how I'm imagining it is some sort of there's a logical flow of information and thought processes that have to go into a task. So if you're, for example, I, I said your your scientist hat, you have to think like a scientist. You have to make sure you're you're putting on your gloves that every that you're working in a sterile environment that you're doing it in a certain way. Um, but that's a different. 
process, a different way of logically thinking than than doing robotic arm training. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's just a different Completely way of thinking. Different, yeah. So to re almost rewire your brain, it's it. I would think to rewire your brain to think like a robotic arm operator right before you're about to do the task is super important. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Um, you mentioned emergency training. That was another one that you said was very critical when you were on board to have that always in the back of your mind. Now, right. what's what are those training flows like? So for emergencies, there, there's three types of emergencies on the space station. There's either fire or a rapid depress where you're losing atmosphere, yeah. or it could be a toxic atmosphere. And really the, about the, the main toxic atmosphere that you can have on space station is if we had an ammonia leak mm-hmm. because there's ammonia in our external um, modules that are uh, That's how it cools the outside. And so we focus the crew on how to respond to those three types of emergencies. And um, that includes where to find the mask and how do I don the mask that I need for the breathing protection? Um, how do I analyze the situation and, and put out the fire if it's a fire? Or how mm-hmm. do I close all the hatches in a, in a logical sequence so that I can maybe find which module is leaking if I'm losing pressure somewhere? Um, and then um, for the toxic atmosphere, we have a special mask that they have to put on. They have to purge it because they could literally be one breath to death if they don't get that mask on properly. Wow. And so we, we want to make sure that, that they are trained instinctually to find that mask, get it on, and, um, and be safe. We so this is where that Building 9 training comes in, having exactly. that, that spatial training to understand where things are super important to this emergency right. procedure. absolutely. All the emergency training is done in Building 9, other than the initial classroom lessons where we just talk about the philosophy. Here's, in general, what it's going to look like, and then all the rest of it is hands-on in Building 9 or in Russia because um, they also do the uh, – there's a whole different set of equipment and a whole different response if the emergency is on the Russian side than mm-hmm. if it's on the U.S. side. Um, and part of that is just because of the way they were built. Like fire response on the U.S. side, the crew leaves the, the segment, and they don't fight the fire initially because the U.S. segment is designed to put the fire out. Um, it's very compartmented little sections, and once you once you um, burn all the oxygen in that one little section, it should put itself out, so it shouldn't, you know, propagate. Uh-huh. At least that's the design. And so our our firefighting philosophy takes that into account. Yeah. On the Russian side, their um, modules are not. Um, compartmentalized they have stuff behind racks or behind uh, panels that that flow from one end of the module to the other end of the module so if a fire starts anywhere in the middle it could go anywhere and so you know it's a different philosophy if the fire is on the Russian side you're going to be opening up those panels and you with fire extinguisher and you're going to be putting it out right then and there you're not going anywhere you're looking to save the station wow on the U.S. side we're going to evacuate and make sure you're safe, and then we'll go see if the fire is out. And if it's not, we can do something about it to make the fire go out. But we're not going to worry about, you know, save it immediately. Yeah. <laughs> so find, figuring out where the fire is is almost the first step to the next set of procedures because depending on where it is, you have a different line That's of... That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. Wow. First step, fi- find the smoke, 
find this, um, see which module it's in, and then that directs your response. Yeah. But and this is actually we, we've been talking a lot about space station training because that's your focus, right? You're you're talking about when you go to the space station, these are the things you have to think about. They're also going to be on other vehicles too, right? They go to so to the Soyuz, they go to Moscow, and they train, or mm-hmm. maybe it's Star City to train Star for City, sto- yeah. to train for the Soyuz, and they learn all the different parts about that vehicle, mm-hmm. and then they have to think about when they go to the space station, this is what they have to think about when they're there. Right. Um, uh, one thing I think I think we did talk about, this was the last part in your sequence of this is what they're gonna train the most with, is day in the life, how mm-hmm. to live. So what is it, what is that like, learning exactly how to just carry yourself when it comes to space station life? So after we teach them all the, the basics of, you know, these are the tools you're going to have, these are the computers you're going to have, this is the, how you um, keep track of all of your stuff. Yeah. We have a, what's a inventory management database system that tells them where all of their clothes are, all of their food is, every single <laughs> tool is. And so they need to know how to utilize all those tools. And then we put them in um, what we call a day-in-the-life sim usually in building nine they're nearly all in building nine because <laughs> again you can put them inside the space station mock-ups yeah. you give them a timeline of activities just like they would have on board and then they have to then just utilize those tools that they that they've been trained on to get through that set of tasks mm-hmm. uh, find all of your equipment that's hidden behind all of these you know storage lockers we don't just set it out for them they have to go and find it here find a piece here find another piece in this module find another piece in this module and then I've got it all so now I can go work on something that's the way it's going to be when they get on board so we want to do that for them in, in building nine as well and oh, that'd so, be fun. it's like scavenger hunt training it is scavenger <laughs> hunt. we do have some scavenger hunts yeah um, we also have the toilet and the galley um, set up so that they can practice the use of not you know not actually really using the toilet but go through the motions or what they would have to do to right. use the toilet how to turn it on we often throw malfunctions at them so that they would have to talk about how what would i do if i saw these lights come on and what what's the response and how do i fix it also for the galley we have all of that mocked up in um, building nine as well the galley is how they prepare their food we don't have any actual water that they can put into their food or heat it up but we have all of the components them you know to where they can um, practice what it is they would do and where we've been working to try and get the actual galley that is um, that is working um, which is currently in building five Mm -hmm. is a different building we've been trying to get that moved over to building nine so that we can make it more realistic and actually have them put their food together yeah um but so far we hadn't done that just yet (laughs) i got there but for the Afghans, we had them just go over to building five and utilize the galley themselves so that they could get used to figuring out how do i prepare my own food how do i get my drinks ready for the day where do i store them when i want them to be cold and not just lukewarm right (laughs) all of those things are things that we kind of try and make sure they know yeah because during their lunch break you know they want to know how to make the food how to make it the way they want to make it yeah and uh definitely the the bathroom is a very important part mm-hmm. of living in space and if anything goes wrong it is it is a complicated piece of equipment so learning how to deal with that all very important yeah um we did i did sort of mention working with other vehicles besides the space station i know one of the things moving forward is now introduced into their training flow is working with commercial crew vehicles. This is something that's relatively new, and we're going to be flying them this year. 
yeah, people yeah, on excited. them. Yeah, we're, <laughs> so so it's 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 real. It's it's happening. It is. What are we doing to train them for these vehicles? Well, I'll tell you, it's a whole new uh, concept because. Since we stopped flying the space shuttle, the only access has been through the Soyuz, right. and the Russians have trained. They train the Soyuz. That's the vehicle that goes up and comes down, and the Russians solely train that. So to have our crews actually training the vehicle that's going to take them up and bring them home is is um, just something we haven't had to do <laughs> in a really long time. Um, so the focus for those companies is to teach them what it is they need to know for the you know for the launch and for the journey up there and the rendezvous and the docking mm -hmm. which is are the key parts and then how to undock and come home safely and there's that sounds easy when you think of it just in these big parts but you think of all the things that can go wrong oh, yeah. then that's where you got to focus on you know what happens if the launch uh, does not go as expected and they need to immediately come home they, they're called launch escapes what happens at different points it takes eight minutes of almost eight minutes to get up to orbit at any point during that eight minutes there's a different um, potential sequence for where they're going to end up landing wow. and how do, how do we train them for those type of things um, how do we train them for issues if we can't dock the first time and we need to come back around and re-rendezvous and come back around and dock. So those are the types of things we're going to be focusing our training on going forward. Um, and then just how do I operate this vehicle? So there's a there's a toilet in that vehicle. Mm. There's a galley in that vehicle. Um, they need to know how to, you know, do that stuff in, in, the, in the tiny little capsules that they're going to be in versus <laughs> the space station. Um, um, and there will be up to four people, you know, in these capsules. And so they need to know where everything is located and, and be able to take care of themselves for the fires, for the emergencies, uh, if that happens, too. Yeah. So. And that's a little different in the, term, in the way that we do it, because I guess for you, you're, you're here at the Johnson Space Center. Here's the, the, the systems we use on the space station. It's it's ours, mm -hmm. it's, and we get to we get to play with it as we want. But this is working with other companies. So how's that been? Um, well, for the last year, I've been privileged to go out and actually help SpaceX with their um, crew training. Oh, cool! Um, NASA uh, sent me out there just to kind of be a liaison and and to guide them because they had not train crews except for cargo missions they hadn't trained uh, spent time training crews from beginning to end on how do I fly a vehicle and how do I you know uh, learn everything about this vehicle only how to open up a hatch and get the cargo out you know yeah <laughs> there's a big difference in right. that and so I've had the privilege of going out there and and just helping them figure out what the, a training flow should look like. What are the key things, at least initially, that we think we ought to train? What are the most important things from a crew perspective that they're gonna want to know and want to have repetition on? Um, but it, it's hard for our crews because they, most of this stuff is at um, the commercial company. You know, all of the mock-ups, most of them are, are at the commercial company. We do now have a few here at JSC where they can get some limited training here, but the majority will be um, off-site. And, but 
when you think about the fact that they've been spending all this time going to Russia to learn Soyuz, and they spend like almost half their year, um, every year in training in Russia, then going to California or doing it, you know, at least in the United States, maybe a little bit better. So. Yeah. So what are the things we have to start thinking about, th- thinking about commercial crew, thinking about space station, everything we've learned, what are some of the key elements we have to think about when things shift a little bit further from Earth? Now we're thinking about moon. Yeah. So I, to me, the, the training will have to focus more on skills, um, generic skills, hmm. um, like the maintenance, the medical, just how do I um, troubleshoot things. Right now, we, we've gotten so dependent upon the ground being the ones that, that troubleshoot or fix the problems because we have constant calm with the ground unless something major happens that we've already talked about. And you mentioned um, the procedures to recover from an emergency are to get calm, are back, to get calm back and rely right. on the ground. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But going forward, whether it's moon or eventually to the Mars, you're not going to have that constant calm. Mm. And the crew members are going to have to be, um, they're going to have to be more self-sufficient and be able to troubleshoot things on their own so so it's kind of it's a very different mindset than where where we've been for the last uh, 20 some odd years um, I think team skills is extremely important I know the astronaut office has been focusing on that as well team skills are things like how do I take care of myself but how do I take care of the team yeah. you know it's it's focusing on both of those aspects and you never want someone who's who only thinks about themselves because um, you, you're going to be living in space off the planet or, you know, on some gateway. So, you know, for a long period of time with one or two or four or whatever number of people, and you really got to know how to get along with people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't so, want to fly with that guy, yeah, right? That, Who's exactly, right. Yeah. And so, so there's a lot of that. I think expeditionary skills are what we call them because that's what you need for those long duration time frames. Um, But I can see us focusing more on, instead of specifics of of how do I operate um, an actual space station, how do I train my crews just to to understand enough to be able to troubleshoot things and to do maintenance and to resolve issues, critical thinking, things like that. Looking at your career here at NASA and training crews and everything that you've accomplished, all the crews that you've talked to, the people you've worked with, the lessons you've learned, what's a key takeaway from just the snapshot of your career? Something that you, something that you want people to know or you think is a valuable lesson looking at your career? Well, I, was, I think the most important thing is that it is a team effort for everything that's done here at NASA, whether the, and, and it's an international team. You know, we've got the people here, and we've got um, folks that are in um, Russia and Europe and Japan and Canada um, and many other countries that are, that are all a part of this team. And so when, when, when we do something, it's never an individual. It's never about the astronaut. They're the face and maybe the eyes and the hands, but they, it is a team effort. And, and that's what I think I, I see as, as, like I said earlier, just being a privilege to be a part of that team and to sometimes be the voice for that team um, or the, to organize the path for that team when it comes to the training. That's been the highlights of my career. Kathy so. Bolt, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it.
Hey, thanks for sticking around. Really great conversation we had with Miss Kathy Bolt about everything astronaut training from the moment they enter the door to the moments before they launch to space. It was a fascinating conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like this podcast, check out some of our others on nasa.gov slash podcast. We got a ton of episodes here on Houston. We have a podcast and a lot of other uh, podcasts about different topics here at NASA. We are on the NASA Johnson Space Center pages of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform to submit an idea for the show. Just make sure to mention it's for Houston. We have a podcast. This episode was recorded on January 6th, 2020. Thanks to Alex Perryman, Pat Ryan, Nora Moran, Belinda Polito, and Jennifer Hernandez. Thanks again to Kathy Bolt for taking the time to come on the show. If you like what you heard, give us a rating and feedback on whatever platform you're listening to to tell us how we did. We'll be back next week.